And this is KEXU 96.1 FM uh, Listening to Free Aslan I'm JV here at Pole People's Revolutionary Radio And we got a very, very good show today We got two different interviews uh, Today I'll be speaking with um, The first interview will be with uh, Francisca Tobacco Of the Lakota Nation And in the second half of the show at 8.30 I'll be uh, interviewing Ernesto um, From the La Raza Unida Party And so I'm just going to get straight to the first interview And I want to welcome um, my first guest uh, Francisca um, Welcome to Free Aslan Hello Oh hello Hello Well welcome and, and thank you for coming on yeah, to the show thank you yeah, and, and we've been trying to do this for a minute, so it's good you're finally able to, to do the show. And, and um, I just want to, um, and I want to start off, you know, just saying that, <clears throat> you know, um, for many people within these false U.S. borders, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand the conditions um, on the reservations. You know, the First Nations um, were rounded up if they weren't genocided. They were rounded up and placed um, forcibly onto these reservations. And, you know, there's a lot of them um, throughout the United Snakes. You know, there's a lot of reservations. Uh, some live a little different than others. But, um, you know, a particular reservation, Pine Ridge, um, you know, where you, where you come from, uh, Francisca, and... This is a yep. reservation with a long history um, of struggle, a long history of resistance, um, and you know, and and the people, the Lakota Nation there, um, has endured a lot of hardships, um, and they continue to endure and struggle through these things. And so, many people, not just within these false U.S. borders, but around the world, um, you know, have high respect and high regard for the Lakota Nation, because of, um, you know, everything that um, the people there have been through and continue to struggle with. So, um, just, you know, um, for the listeners, um, let me just ask you the first question. How long have you lived on Pine Ridge Reservation? Well, I was born in Pine Ridge Reservation, and I lived here since... I was seven years old, you know, I was born in Pine Ridge, and then I lived in Oglala. I grew up in Oglala on Lakeside. Mm. Wow. And, and, and that's, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, you know, I don't want to throw your age out there, but it was some decades ago, right? Yes. <clears throat> okay. And I had always come back here, you know, because I have family here, and I had a home here, um, so I always come back here and visit and always remember, you know, how, where I grew up and how I grew up. Mm. Yeah, and that's very important to always remember how you grew up and um, in the conditions um, that your people have been in. And um, and I know that, you know, um, you know, we talked about it before where, you know, it's easy to leave the reservation. Um you know, it's it's as, as far as the um, the pull, the lure to leave the res, 
and to you know maybe make more money outside the res and live a little better but you know when me and you talked um before you know you said that it was important to you to go back to the res and to um, yes. raise your children there can you speak a little bit about that yeah um <clears throat> In 2017, I had moved back here to be closer to my my roots and my traditions and mm -hmm. learn from a very well-known medicine man here who had passed away. But I still, you know, he always uh, was persistent to me to learn the language and for my kids to learn the language. So mm -hmm. I thought, you know, no matter what, I'm going to put everything on hold, everything, you know, no more city, no more of that life, you know, and just stay here and do what we have to do and stay where we have to stay as long as my kids stay in the school where they teach them the Lakota language and they teach mm -hmm. them the traditions and they go to sweat, mm. you know what I mean? And they do everything that we do as you know as Lakota people in this school they're, they're teaching the kids that mm. so I thought you know there's no other school like this in the United States right. nowhere I mean I've lived all over the place in Minneapolis in California and Oklahoma so there's nothing like this so then I thought we're gonna stay here and my kids are gonna grow up to know who they are mm. and they're gonna know their language and they're gonna know you know and have that um the roots there mm. and the culture and their traditions mm. beautiful so beautiful. I, that's that's why we're here you know the whole reason is just everything is for them to learn yeah and they are learning you know they're teaching me more mm. of the language and because they're speaking it on the daily you know their teachers mm. yes Yes, yeah. absolutely. You know, as a mother, you're the first teacher. The, the mother is always the first teacher to the children. And, mm -hmm. you know, children are very sacred. You know, children, you know, and for indigenous people, children come from the creator, you know. And, um, yeah. and so children are very, very um, sacred. And, and, but at the same time, the mother is the first teacher to the child. At the same time... Uh, on the other hand, um, you know, um, you know, Chairman Mao talked about um, from the masses to the masses. So it's kind of like, you know, it's it's kind of like what you just explained from the masses to the masses because you're the teacher, but you're also learning. You're there to teach the children, but you're learning from the children, and that's how even even without a parental um, link, even in the community, we do the same where. You know, we um, teach the people, but we learn from the people. We learn from the people and then teach the people. Yeah. It's a back and forth thing, and children are the same. You know, you're you're teaching them, but you're learning from them. And te and children, the youth, they learn, they grasp um, everything faster than you know adults and and that's why children mm -hmm. learn languages faster than adults. You know, they catch on everything faster. And that's why children are the future of, of, of any resistance and any struggle. And that's why our youth are very, very important and sacred uh, to us as a family, to the community, to everybody. But, um, and I think that I just want to um, commend you and, you know, what you said about 
you could have left and yet you chose yeah. to bring your children back because you want them to know who they are and what their struggles really are because if you moved to uh you know um to New York or you moved to um you know Florida they're not going to know who they are they're not going to know their struggle their people struggle and some people are okay with that with um withholding their own children's um right to know um, what they're supposed yeah. to be struggling, who the oppressor is. These are very essential things, and you identify them, and this is why I have a high respect for you as a, you know, a you. warrior woman, absolutely, because there's so many women who try to hide the struggle from their children. They would rather keep their children from the struggle, from the resistance, from knowing who the oppressor is, and, 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 and you... You have a choice and you're choosing to take your children in there and say, this is who you are. You guys are from the Lakota Nation and this is what you're struggling for. This is what you're resisting. This is who the oppressor is. It's just and learn their tradition. Yeah. All of that. It's beautiful. Very, very beautiful. Very beautiful. But let me just say, um, let me ask you, um, how were the, you know, because we hear a lot about you know, the reservations, we hear, um, in, in particular, Pine Ridge, and we hear, mm -hmm. um, you know, that reservations, the, some reservations, especially Pine Ridge, people are living, um, like, in third world conditions, and, you know, and that's basically no running water, no electricity, and then other people will say, nah, you know, they're, they're not doing so bad there, or whatever, so let me hear from you, somebody who was born on the Pine Ridge Reservation, let me ask you, how were the conditions there um, growing up on Pine Ridge, the living conditions? Well, yeah, for me, whenever I was, like, little, like, five, six, seven, like, Growing up like that, being that little, not knowing any better, you know, I grew up with no electricity, and we didn't have, you know, a stove, like, we cooked outside, Wow. and we didn't have running water, we went down to the spring, which was probably, like, I would say a half mile away, but, wow. you know, in my head, I'm thinking everybody lives like this, this mm. is the this is the world, you know, yeah. everybody's getting water here, everybody's cooking outside, and this is, and we have like the um, cursing lamps. So then I'm thinking this is just how it is. Wow. Until like one of my uncles, he had came from Oregon and he brought a TV. Mm. And we didn't know like, you know, what, what was this, you know? And, 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 and let me just, just ask you, to, let me ask you, Francisco, around what years was this in the 80s? Was this in the, like, what? This was. See, I was born in 1978, so this had to have been like the early, early 80s. Wow. And you, up until yeah. that point, you didn't have electricity, you never seen yeah. running water, you never seen a television before yeah. in the 80s. Okay, and go ahead. Yeah. So he brought this TV from uh, Yeah, Oregon? so he brought this TV and he hooked it up to a car battery and that's how, what it ran off of. Mm. And, you know, I was just shocked and everything and happy about seen this and then I was hooked to the TV all the time like I didn't even <laughs> MASH was on you know MASH oh you're watching MASH yeah I watched MASH yeah I know yeah, yeah like all these all these shows and I was like you know like wow like where is this at you know yeah. what world is this wow <laughs> but it, then yeah so then I went to a, a field trip in Rapid City and that's when I seen everything and 
seeing the city life, seeing the lights and everything, and then I'm just like, you know, didn't really understand, like, why are we living in that condition, mm. and there's this. Mm. Then, you know, growing up, the more and more I grew up and finding out, like, we're the only ones that live like that. Mm. Unless you're in a different country. Like, you see all these other countries living like that. Yeah. But I feel like nobody really knows that Native Americans here, the core of America, are living like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible that nobody knows. And that's why I knew it was so important to have you on the show. Because, you know, even today, you know, some parts, you know, some parts of... Um, even third world countries, some parts of you see China, there it's like Las Vegas, you know. I mean, you you even yeah. some some parts of Mexico, they have everything. You know, they got widescreen, um, big trucks and everything. But there there's other areas. But I'm saying even in the third world countries, there's areas where it's like Las Vegas. They have everything. They have more than we have. They have more than I have. You know. So, but but here in the first world, the you know the richest country the most parasitic nation on the planet um you know here in the united snakes um you have areas where people up until the 1980s did not have you know they didn't even know what a tv was and yeah. that points to the contradictions and the national oppression that the first nations um endure under america um and it's um you know it's it's just and, and nobody talks about it it's on not on the news you know i'm sure a lot of my my listeners are listening for the first time not even knowing that in the 1980s there was people that never seen a tv in their life on the reservation mm -hmm. you know there, there's some many people don't know because the corporate news and all the media arms of the state of the United Snakes, they don't promote, they don't publicize that. They That's their dirty little secret. They keep it, you know, they keep it um, out of anybody's, um, um, you know, perception. And so yeah. it's important that we get this story out. And, and the only reason that I should say, the only reason that the U.S. is the most richest country in the world is off the, first of all, off the stolen land and resources um, from yeah. the First Nations, off of um, the stolen um, land and resources of um, the Mexican people, the Chicano Nation, off of brown labor, off of black labor, off of Chinese labor. You know, the Chinese helped build the West Coast. You know, the Chicano Nation helped build the Southwest, what's called the Southwest. The black nation helped build the South and beyond through slavery so in the first nations um you know they just stole the resources and the land of the first Nations. so that's the only reason why the u.s is the richest country in the world uh because of the thievery genocide and exploitation of labor from the oppressed nations yeah. people that's the only reason um and so you know if we commit crimes we could obtain a lot of things you know if i walk out the door and i go commit some crimes i could come up on a lot of stuff you know i could have my pockets full yeah. of money if i'm gonna go out there and and do some dirt and, and but that's the thing is it's looked down upon and, and it's promoted in the media 
every time um, you know uh, First Nations, a brown, black person um, commit anything, and yet the foundations of this country, um, these false U.S. borders are founded on the highest crimes against the people. You know, we're talking yeah. genocide, land. Th I mean, and so it's just these are things that are not taught to us in the schools or in the news. And this is why yeah. it's important to come on these radio shows and to educate the people on what's not being told. But let me get to the next um, question. Um, okay. So is there jobs on the res? Because we hear a lot of unemployment. I mean, you're there. You were born there. What are the jobs like? Are, is there a lot of jobs or? Yeah, since I've lived here in 2017, um, living here on the reservation, <clears throat> I haven't, like for a whole year, I could not find work at oh. all. And then I just came up on this job by word of mouth. Uh, right. Somebody told me this job was about to be open. You right. know, otherwise I, I, do, I wouldn't know, you know. Right. Yeah. They don't promote jobs. It's wow. mainly like if they know somebody that knows somebody, that person oh, is wow. going to get the job. Yeah. So it's just like Simple. it's really hard to find work here. And besides that, like even whenever I did find work, they don't pay like in the cities. Like they don't like the city's minimum wage doesn't really pertain to us mm. because I get paid like the minimum I don't even know if it's minimum wage, yeah. like it's seven twenty-five. So wow, seven twenty-five. I mean, you know, in California, yeah. seven twenty-five was the minimum wage, probably like in nineteen eighty or something. I don't know, but yeah, that's just so they have you. They have the reservation, the First Nations living. Okay, let me ask you this too before I go to the next question: Is there okay. running water on Pine Ridge right now, or electricity? Does everybody have it, or are there still people without it? There is still people without it. I wow. mean, we have electricity and we have water, but there is some people that are still living mm. without water, and they're homeless. Even wow. here on the reservations, there's a lot of homeless teens. Oh. And then kids, they get taken away into foster care. <sighs> in Rapid City right now, they're dealing with kids getting taken away. <sighs> um, they're protesting on it because the DHS office in Rapid City is just, like, for years and years, yeah. they've been just taking kids away for any little tiny reason that they can. And they, <sighs> they don't give them back to the Native American kids. They keep them. And they, and yeah. they adopt them out. Yeah. And they've been doing that for a hundred. They've been doing that since 1492. Taking that's yeah. a common practice of the oppressor nation to take the children of the oppressed. And you know what they're doing to them now is they take the children of the First Nations and they give them to sterile white women. You know, and that's the majority mm -hmm. of people that are getting these uh, these First Nations children. So um, that's been going on forever. You know, they they take them from yeah. from us. And they give them the white people. That's what they do. So that's something that, um, you know, it's, and they talk about child human trafficking. That's child human trafficking on the First Nations. But um, yeah. you were telling me that there was a situation where there was no water. You didn't have water for 17 yeah, days. Yeah, that was last year in April. We actually, um, well, there was a man that came and it was like 9 o'clock at night. He came and he told me. Um, can you please, like, fill up all your jugs, fill up anything that you can, because the water line is going to be getting shut off. 
And I said, for how long? And he said, I'm not sure. And I just start filling up everything, mm. thinking, okay, this is only going to be a day or so, mm. you know, and they're going to fix it tomorrow. But tomorrow came into another day. The next thing, the third day comes. Mm. Like, nobody's answering the phones when I'm calling the tribal office to find out what's going on. Mm. Next thing, there's a National Guard water truck. Mm. And they're, everybody's going down there with their jugs, filling up the water. And yeah. they were here for two days. Then they left. They said, well, it seems like you're getting your water turned on, so that's why we're leaving. Uh. And I thought, oh, good. You know, it was like the fifth day. And then they left, and the water didn't come on. So it was like another three days. And I didn't have a vehicle, so I couldn't just easily drive to town, mm. get some water, you know. Yeah. And I'm sitting here like, what am I going to do? Um, how am I going to get water? I know there's like other people down here, too, that didn't have a car. And they have kids. Like, they had five kids. The other family had five grandkids. Wow. So then I was like... I'm going to call the news and see what's going on. Like, can they help us with some resources? Yeah. So then I talked to the news lady. She had, they had no idea that we mm. didn't have water. Yeah. They knew that there was a blizzard going on and that people needed, you know, blankets and stuff. Right. And as, as of that, but they didn't know we didn't have water. So she came mm. down and she was like, can I do an interview with you? And we did that. And it was total up to 12, uh, 12 days without mm. water. Wow. But luckily that I went on the news because then that got the word out mm. to the people in the cities, to the people in the surrounding areas. Wow. That, so they started bringing water in, and there was pallets and pallets of water. So you stood up for your people, Francisco. Yes. You, not not a man, not a... And not to talk bad about down on anyone else, but it just speaks again to your character that you are a leader. This is what a leader does. A leader doesn't, you know, hide in the back, hide in the corner and not want to say nothing because, well, if I say something, it's going to rock the boat and then everybody's going to be mad at me. A leader goes to the forefront, says, this is what's wrong, this is what happened, this is what needs to be done. You're a leader, you're yeah. a warrior, you're a real warrior woman. Not these weekend warrior women that, you know, on Saturday they want to be warriors. You are a warrior <laughs> woman. You stood up to the military, to everybody, to the state. You got to the news, said, our people needs water. And you, um, you are a leader. Um, and, and if it wasn't for you, who knows how long your people would have went. But, um, yeah. but, but, but we are um, getting short on time. And I wanted to ask this other question. Um, you know, did, when you were growing up, um, you know, did you grow up knowing about Leonard Peltier? And what were you told about him? Because Leonard Peltier is... You know, he's a hero for the people, and he is from, you know, he is uh, Lakota, and, you know, he was there at one time on Pine Ridge. So, um, did you grow up hearing yeah. about him, and what did you, what were you told about him? Well, you know, my mom, she's the one that schooled me on Leonard Peltier. On oh, Pal I love your mom already. I love her. Yeah. Shout out to my mom. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, she schooled me on him, and she told me about how he was a protector 
of our mm. people and our struggle and everything mm. and how he how it all happened mm. and how yeah. he was at the ranch mm. and he was there protecting everybody he came here from new mexico because mm. they were they you know our people asked him to come back yeah. him you know the whole aim crew mm. to come back here and protect us because of what was going on because yes. of the goons and what they were doing mm. to our people, how they were trying to, um, like they were trying basically killing people. And mm. yeah. he came here to the ranch to protect everybody. And whenever all of that was going on, if you watched the incident of Oglala, it was more like a setup. Oh yeah, him. absolutely it was. Because of course he's not going to tell, you know, because yeah. he's not going to tell what really happened. And it was a setup because he went down for our people and he's yeah. still there. Still you know? there. But then it was a setup because what really was going on behind the scenes was they were taking more land for uranium. Mm. Oh. So they had to distract it and they, yeah. they planned the shootout. Mm. Which they didn't know that they didn't, you know, they didn't plan to shoot out for two guys to die. Right. They planned it to take aim down. Right. And to distract the news. Like, oh, look what, you know, the Native Americans are doing, put this on the news. So mm -hmm. really, they were over here taking the land more. Right. Yeah. And they do that all around the world now. So now people are starting to know that tactic of what they do. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, you know, um, Leonard Peltier is a hero. Um, he was mm -hmm. absolutely set up, and um, he did not um, kill them two pigs. Um, you know, no. that was not him, and, and he was a hero. He is a hero, stood up for the Lakota people, and he continues to stand up for um, all oppressed people, and he remains a political prisoner, and, um, and, and you know, and so, um, yeah, they need to let Leonard Peltier out. They need to let him, let him go free. And let all of our political prisoners free. But let me ask you one last question. And I wish I could just have you on here for two, three hours, uh, Francisca. But I'm going to have you back because okay. um, we need this. We need this truth. We need a, a leader, strong leader's voice from Pine Ridge, from the Lakota. And I believe that you are a very strong voice. But let me just ask you, um, what do you know... Um, no, let me just ask you, what do you think the future is of the, what, what do you hope for in the future for the Lakota Nation? I hope that, you know, for our, uh, mainly for our kids and our next generation coming up, I want them to be educated. I want them to stay in school, go to college, and I want them to learn their language and learn their roots because then without that i feel like once you go out there in the real world like you're not gonna know who you are right. and if you don't know who you are you're gonna be out there lost and easily be played you know what i mean yes so i feel like i want our, our lakota people and our mainly our kids to grow up knowing uh. our traditions and hold on to that because you know that is everything and mainly like our land owners Mm. Keep your land and hold on. <clears throat> sorry, hold on to your land mm. and don't sell it. You yeah. know because this is all we have. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely, and I would agree. And if they continue to know who they are, 
um, that's the key to liberation. When you know your real yes. history and your real struggles, um, that's when you're going to be free. And and I hope um, and I hope for liberation, national liberation for the Lakota Nation. And I just want you to know that um, the Chicano Nation and Aslan stand in unity with the Lakota Nation and all oppressed peoples in these false U.S. borders. And one day we will be free from the United Snakes. We will obtain national liberation. I want to thank you for your work, for being a leader um, within the Lakota Nation, for being a strong warrior woman, a real warrior woman, and for raising... Um, your baby warriors to know who they are, who the oppressor is, and what the struggle is about. Thank you very much, Francisca, and please tell your mother that I send my love and a clenched fist to her on behalf of the Chicano Nation. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Pledge allegiance to the land of the sacred we're going to take a short break and to the people of this nation under the creator for which we stand for which we stand one rasa with liberation for every woman and every man equal opportunity where children are the future children are the future and they deserve to understand and they deserve to understand in political philosophy the right of revolution is the right and the duty of the people of a nation in political philosophy the right of revolution is the right and the duty of the people of a nation Philosophy, the right of revolution is the right and the duty of the people of a nation to overthrow a government that acts against the common interests and threatens the safety of the people in political philosophy. The right of revolution is the right and the duty of the people of a nation to overthrow a government that acts against their common interests and threatens the safety of the people without call. Call me an outlaw. I've been in and out the system since juvenile hard it got us all. Marginalized and categorized Horizontal crime, that's what got me colonized Time to uprise, start a demonstration Decolonization, free my people In them concentration cages 2020 vision, for real, come see the movement Hello, hey Ernesto Hey brother, yeah I'll be Bringing you on in just a few minutes I'm a soldier and a warrior, now give us back our land You don't want to go to war with us Political philosophy, the right of revolution Is the right and the duty the people of a nation in political philosophy the right of revolution is the right and the duty of the people of a nation in political philosophy the right of revolution is the right and the duty of the people of a nation to overthrow a government that acts against their common interests and threatens the safety of the people in political philosophy the right of revolution is the right and the duty of the people of a nation to overthrow a government that acts against their common interests and threatens the safety of the people without cause call me an outlaw or a rebel where the government's the biggest gang of all Doing fly-by shootings when the drone passes by Invading our privacy satellite eye in the sky Worldwide web trying to catch me in the net Ways to collect as much information that they can get It's like a knock us all down, decreasing the population Genocide attempt to extinct our civilization 2020 vision is for real, they have me blinded Now that I can see there is no reason I can't find it My mission has a purpose, I'm just here to bring the message Time to overthrow this government, oh what a blessing Write a revolution we the people of this nation I slime free, independent, here's my declaration Write a revolution, we the people of this nation I slime free, independent, here's my declaration In political philosophy, the right of revolution Is the right and the duty 
the people of a nation in political philosophy the right of revolution is the right and the duty of the people of a nation in political philosophy the right of revolution is the right and the duty of the people of a nation to overthrow a government that acts against their common interests and threatens the safety of the people in political philosophy the right of revolution is the right and the duty of the people of a nation to overthrow a government that acts against their common interests and threatens the safety of the people without call I pledge allegiance to the land to the land of the sacred states of Aslan sacred states of and Aslan. to the people of this nation under the creator for which we stand under the creator one rasa with liberation for every woman and every man equal opportunity where children are the future. children are the future and they deserve to understand and they deserve to understand and this is KEXU 96.1 FM you're listening to Free Aslan I'm JV and you just heard some music by uh, G7 and that was a song called Aslan Native and that brother is on fire right there he got the revolutionary uh, hip-hop revolutionary rap and um, you know and he's you know his raps talking about national liberation you know and this is very hard to get rappers to talk about uh, you know um, things that we need not not just things that you know this is a this is a very talented brother and he's part of the free aslan crew here um at the radio station and you will be hearing uh more of his music in the future but let me get to this uh interview i have um i want to welcome um ernesto uh from the la raza unida party er- ernesto uh, welcome to free aslan Oh yeah, absolutely. And I had you on the when we were starting the Free Aslan show, but now yeah. you know we, we we got you on here and and um and also um so I just wanted to you know I wanted to get right to it and um and I wanted to um talk um just for the listeners' sake um you know if you could talk a little bit about La Raza Unida Party, what yeah. it is, what it stands for. Definitely, definitely. Um, well, you know, La Raza Party is an organization that, ha- it, like many of, the, of our historical, you know, Chicano organizations or events, is coming to its 50th year in another year itself. Um, La Raza Party basically was, uh, was started as an effort by Chicanos, you know, Chicanas, Raza, throughout Aslan, throughout the Southwest mainly, um, to have a political party that stood for, for our interests. Um, at the beginning, you know, like many other things, like many other organizations or trends in the movimiento, um, there was no no direct ideology. You know, there was no no nothing really to follow. You know, there was a sense of Chicanismo, a sense of uh, uh, you know nationalism, but it was very open. You know, and uh, the partido, the La Raza itself, didn't you know establish its actual ideological beliefs. Um, so they worked on a lot of you know reform type you know, things, you know, a lot of stuff that uh, was very beneficial to, to the to the Rasa. Any, anyhow, you know, um, starting, you know, lunch programs as well, you know, starting uh, clinics, uh, escuelitas, este, you know, obviously, you know, trying to get people to register to go and to register under La Raza Unida. Um, and this, you know, what became a, a, a big threat to the established two-party dictatorship, you know, and they, they in turn, you know, began counter organizing and you know that's how you started getting a lot of the the you know, like barrio clubs and stuff like that though you know 
took on the rhetoric but was aimed at pulling Raza away from independent poli politics, independent uh -huh. political parties. In this case, La Raza Unida Party, you know. Um, as time went on, you know, uh, La Raza Unida, you know, it split into two different, different basically factions. There was the people that were more reformist-oriented uh -huh. and the people that wanted, un wanted to understand what our place is in society and, and historically and these were the people that followed more, you know, the, the leadership of Jorge Gonzalez and the crusade. Um, and, you know, eventually that, that side is the one that, that won out through a lot of struggle, through a lot of organizing within the organization itself. Um, you know, the revolutionary nationalists, Chicano revolutionary nationalists, mm -hmm. you know, who understood that um, the problems that affect the Raza, you know, then uh, and, and today, you know, don't come from, you know, because we haven't voted or been registered or, you know, this time we're going to get it right or et cetera. They come from, you know, the relationship we have to, to the, with the United States, you know, and, and you know, the, the fact that the majority of us are, well, one, we're colonized people, and mm. that put, that makes us, you know, working workers, basically, you mm. know, so we don't, we don't control, you know, uh, what happens in our communities. We don't control, you know, who who polices our neighborhoods? We don't control anything, you know. We and you know we're we're workers, and and our role in the society is just to work, you know, or or to for our bodies to be used, you know, for the prisons and jails, um, mm -hmm. and cre even well create profits that way too. So you know, we we saw that you know La Raza Unida saw that at least you know the generation before you know ours right now saw that and you know began establishing a more you know revolutionary outlook. Uh, Chicano revolutionary nationalism, you know, calling for for the independence and self determination of of Aslan, the Southwest. Together, this is a very important. Together, with our native nations, with our na tribal families. Um, so you know that that part went out. Um, it's been very, it's been active. You know, a lot of people were taught in in you know. We're taught basically that you know the Chicano movement and the movement in general ended in the mid '70s or earlier, but it didn't. The movement kept organizing, you know, kept people kept uh, uh, joining the, the La Raza Unida or other organizations out there. You know, fights continued, um, and you know La Raza Unida well has been active since then. You know, um, locally here, este, in in the San Fernando Valley, in San Fernando Pacoima. Uh, of Southern California, as they, you know, we've, we've been active nonstop basically since 1971 when it was established by, uh, Mexistas from CSUN and other community or, uh, other community folks. Mm. Wow. So good history, long history of, yeah. um, organizing, basically in a nutshell, organizing the Raza, um, in order to, um, gain, you know, certain, um, advances in our community right in in, yeah. in many different ways and and i would agree that the you know so many people you know they um the propaganda u.s propaganda goes that um the chicano movement is over but how is it going to be over when we still don't have our land that's exactly. um that's ridiculous so it'll be over when we obtain our land when we have our national territories that we stand on uh, we okay. do stand on, you know, we're here in California, 
and we stand on the national territory of the Chicano Nation, and we okay. will not stop until we liberate it. So that's when the Chicano movement will, will be done, when we have national liberation. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and not just... Um, Parks named after us, not just <laughs> high schools named after us, but once we have our own government and our mm -hmm. own armies and militaries and control our resources, then the Chicano movement will have ended. But um, and then it'll just adapt, and um, and I would um, I would think that it would um, evolve, and it would be still a movement in other realms but because yeah. um, nothing remains static right everything exactly. is in constant motion and uh, the Chicano movement is not is not um, you know is not um, you know um, it, it goes with that same um, that same theory of, of constant motion but let me just mm -hmm. ask you um, brother let me ask you that um, you know I, I know you guys um, have a lot of projects going on a lot of things going on in the community what what are the some because you're based in southern california right yeah okay and and so oh. yeah what 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 kind of projects are you guys um working on right now like what are some things that you guys are, are struggling with over there yeah i mean um a, a lot well for example in here in, in the local chapter here in uh san fernando pocoima area um, it's part of the, the, you know, the city of Los Angeles, you know, the city of Los Angeles is very big. So, um, although it's, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, more or less 30, 20 minutes away from what's considered actually LA, but we're part of LA, the city of LA, not just the county. So a lot of the issues that affect LA, Los Angeles in general, you know, they, they affect us as well. And uh, we're seeing a creeping up of, of um, the same uh, factors that led to a lot of gentrification, the gentrification of a lot of the historical neighborhoods, you know, you know, down more well, in L.A., you know, like East L.A., Boyle Heights, South Central, Echo Park, Silver Lake, all those that used to be barrios and ghettos, you know, of, of Raza and Africans um, are, all, are now many mostly completely gentrified, you know. So we're seeing a lot of that. Uh, starting to to rear its head over here, you know, in the form of a uh, you know metro a metro line that's being it's not being proposed, it's being it's being rammed through the community basically, you know, and uh, and so we're we're gonna we're doing some organizing around that, um, you know, together with other other you know compañeros and compañeras in the area. There's also uh, maybe people saw it on the news. There's um, talk about about it's the opening up one of the child detention centers actually down the street from here wow. you know and it's this abandoned uh like complex and they, so one of the one of those you know private entities that run these facilities they they're basically putting in a bid to to get it and they're going through i guess they're going through some issues with you know like the city also said it's not going to allow that and the, and the state of california i think has said the same but you know we'll see you know but there is a lot of movement around that you know and, and we've been involved with that with a with a few other compañeros and compañeras. Mm. Um, also, one of the things that we try to stress a lot and, and we try to work a lot with is our youth, you know, our youth, our students, you know, because, you know, they are the future. Absolutely. You know, they're, they're the ones that we're going to pass, the, the, you know, this torch of, of, of struggle too. So um, we're also involved with, you know, the, some local youth conferences actually that happened. There's there's two. There's one, La, La Raza Unida Youth Conference, which 
we have organized locally since 
our our peers that we there was a mecha we left mecha we started la raza estudiantil and um we organized food drives we joined them in marches you know we we because of, for a lot of us though uh that was where our families you know our neighbors or someone that we knew so um we've been doing that every year since then you know it's the um where we you know not only you know do we you know like give toys to kids stuff like that you know that's not our purpose our purpose you know we do that obviously well we also give like educational materials but at the same time you know we talk we talk to you know the parents that show up you know about being you know part of the movimiento what is the movimiento what is la raza unida you know why why is it important to be organized you know if they and you know raising consciousness because that's something we always try to do you know in everything that in everything that we get involved with whether if they one of our main tasks is to raise consciousness you know raise that that national and class consciousness of of, of the workers of the raza you know so so that's one day that we do that you know and i'm very proud of you know the, the compañeras and compañeros that that have helped to keep that going but uh, since then you know, mm, beautiful beautiful a lot of work a lot of organizing and um and a lot of learning i know you um yeah. to do all of that type of work and organizing you're learning every single day every minute because there's always new obstacles and new struggles yep. and you just learn and learn but and, and you know I want to cuz we're getting short on time but I wanted to talk a little bit about you know we got something coming up we have the Chicano Moratorium the 50th anniversary yep. and you know this is a significant event for the Chicano nation this is um probably it was probably the largest or it was the largest uh action Chicano action in history um where you know over 10,000 Chicano people um you know rose up against US imperialism and that was uh you know that was uh a revolutionary in my opinion it was a revolutionary nationalist uh yep. event um even if um some of the um, participants didn't know it but anytime you stand up against US imperialism for your nation um that's a very positive thing and 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 so that was a very positive action of um and but let you know for the listeners can you give us a brief history on the Chicano moratorium why it was started why it happened and then um and maybe bring us up to date on on the next one coming up Yes definitely este um the Chicano moratorium that was a combination uh there have been several other moratoriums before and and even after with that um immediately of of the 71 uh again the the theme basically was you know um as we know the you know the the 70s in 1970 68 all, all that time is the the US war against Vietnam the the US invasion of Vietnam and you know that helped i mean as sad but that because what what is the cost of it you know so many you know people Vietnamese people and Chicanos and other you know people dying, but it made it made Rasa in particular in this case Rasa Chicanos Mexicanos realize, you know, why am I going over there? You know, what's the purpose? Is here at home? One, I'm being told this is not my home when it is my home. Two, you know the 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 rampant police abuse, uh, murder, verdad? The the migra, you know, uh, as well. It's been active, you know. Ripping apart families from then, since then, because to the court systems, uh, the 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 horrible education that that Chicanos had to go through, you know, if you could even call it that, you know, uh, indoctrination, verdad? Mm. Este uh, poverty, verdad? Uh, 
and blatant racism, ¿verdad? And, and so it made a lot of Chicanos realize, you know, well, you know, here I am basically stooped over in some field picking, picking, you know, uh, in este, tomatoes or something, ¿verdad? And, and these people telling me that I have to go fight over there are telling me my enemy is this other man or, or woman, ¿verdad? That's also stooped over picking rice or some other fruit or vegetable in fields in their nation, in their country, ¿verdad? So mm. it made it very clear, ¿verdad? Mm -hmm. It made it very clear, you know, what, you know, what, what is going on here, ¿verdad? Este, so on August 29, 1970, it was actually 30,000, you know, Chicanos from, from Amalobo, Aklan, but, but the, the very beautiful thing is, you know, Raza from there, from, from Islos, ¿verdad? And from Los Angeles in general, uh, came, you know, families, and, and there was even like a couple that, that joined the marcha, right? Mm. Right out, right after getting married, they walked out of the church and there went the whole group. You know, the whole <laughs> Hell group, yeah, right? I love that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the veterans, Chicano veterans, Jews, the, the, the barrios came out, you know, and, and there was a, a peaceful demonstration, but then they get to the park, uh, they march, well, they started at this park called Atlantic Park, you know, mm. um, they marched down Whittier, mainly Whittier, and they, and they ended at a park that's also on Whittier. It used to be called the Laguna Park. Now it's called Salazar Park, and you'll find out why. Mm. Este, uh, so they get there, right? They're having the festivities with uh, speakers and dancers, music, all that. And there's, there's an altercation across the street at a liquor store. So the sheriffs use that as an excuse to just, you know, go wild into the crowd. And they started beating people. They started shooting tear gas canisters. Uh, you know, people were... Because again, you know, these these were this was you know regular people. But I mean, there was activists, but it was you know regular people, you know regular families that came out with children and abuelitos, abuelitas. You know, everybody came out. So they're they're running in terror, you know, because they're being shot at. You know, um, some of them ran into like the restrooms of the park, and the police literally they seeing that they shot tear gas canisters into into the restrooms, knowing that there were kids and mm. you know women in there. As the um, They chased people down. They beat them. Um, so there was, there at the park, two young men, uh, Lynn Ward and Angel Diaz, they were both brown berets. Mm. And basically they died in combat. Mm. They died defending the raza. Mm. You know, um, one of them, I think he, you know, the, the sheriffs, they shot a tear gas canister to, uh, to a trash can or trash bin that was, you know, right next to him. And when it exploded, the shrapnel murdered the, the, The young man, you know, who was wow. just defending his, his community. Mm. He, uh, another one, I think it was a similar story. Like they beat him, and and he got up. When he got up, you know, I think somehow este, he they also he got shot, you know, este, so that was the end of him, you know. So these young men died in combat, and I think they should be you know recognized mm. um, for what they did. Right? Este, they died defending their raza. You know, they died um, giving the the most they could. Anybody could, mm. yeah, but they've been erased from my memories. Yeah. Um, another man that died that day, he was down the street. There, there was there. Uh, there, there used to be a bar there called the Silver Dollar. He went in there to um, escape the heat because you know it's August and you know it gets very hot here and gets very hot in Aslan in general during mm -hmm. the summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so he went down. He went there with his crew. He was uh, actually. Ruben Salazar, he was uh, the director for Channel 34, KMEX, and he was a journalist for the LA Times. Mm. Uh, he used to, uh, he was actually the one of, probably the only one at that point 
that, you know, Chicano himself, he would report on Chicanos, he would, you know, to talk about Chicanos, which was something that not even now you would think mainstream yeah, mainstream uh, news would, would report rare. on, you know, so, um, and he was being followed, actually, by the FBI and, and the police. You oh, know, no, so surprise. On that day, no surprise, no yeah, surprise, eh? On that day, they, uh, you know, they surrounded the bar, and first they told everyone they had to come out, and then they told them you can't come out, you have to stay in. Um, some people, I believe, did get out, though. But this is what they did. One of the sheriffs, uh, I believe his name was Terry Brunson or something, he actually pointed a tear gas canister directly into the bar to where Salazar was sitting, and he shot him mm. right, in the t and right in the temple. And this, you know, one-foot or 12-inch, you know, missile, mm. you know, was to murder the, the compañero. Mm. You know, so... so what what that did, you know, um, from from what I've not only from what I've read, but from what I know, you know, cause I had family that was there, you know, other compañeros in the partido or, or different organizations that were there. Um, it basically lifted the veil, you know. It, it told them, mm. it told them, you know, this is what you are, yeah. and this is how you get. This is what you'll get if you try talking, mm. you know. So it made it clear, you know, the what what Chicanos should or shouldn't do. I mean, according to the colonizer, you know, to the occupier, right, right. you know, and, and so it, that, you know, caused, it was part of the reason why, you know, other, you know, I think, you know, a lot of organizations began to, to uh, move away from reformism because they saw, you know, if we're over here, you know, supposedly demanding our rights peacefully, um, you know, asking for basic human, human rights and they kill us, mm. you know, yeah. the what are they going to do when we when we understand that you know our problem is that like you were saying you know we we don't we don't control our our, our, our land you know we yeah. don't control our nation we don't control our barrios you know mm. they're under the control of someone else yeah so um Settling. that day you know has has if there was any day that you know uh is a chicano day of resistance that's the day you know because mm. that's the day when we just said ya basta you know mm. um and you know there was a an uprising there in east l.a um that that same week that I stay, uh, and from what I've read, there's actually this very good book. If it's out of print, but it might be out there, people can find it. It's called Ando Sangrando. It's a report on police violence mm. uh, directly about in East LA, right? mm. because it was it was it was so intense. And it talks about you know how you know there was a uh, there was an uprising there was an uprising there immediately that same that starting from that same day to the whole week. Um, even some sheriffs themselves, you know, were, were fallen, you know, <laughs> oh, when, you know, great. the Gaza took, yeah, uh, <laughs> took <laughs> no, but hey brother, turn, you know? but, but I hate to cut in, but we have about one minute. Um, oh. would you like to speak on, um, the Chicano? Cause we're, we're organizing a Chicano moratorium for central and northern Califas, but it's going to be on a separate day than the one uh, down in East Los. So if you would like to, um, that way people could go to both of them, you know. And, yeah. and so would you like to talk about um, the event? we got about one minute left, brother. Definitely. I'll be real fast, and, I, and I'll just also, you know, talk about something real fast. Este, so, Twitter, Chicano Martorum, if you can follow it on Facebook, Instagram, uh, I believe Twitter as well. There's that it falls on the same date, August 29th, 2020. Here in in East Los, Califas Land, we're we're organizing the next demonstration. Fifty years since the original Chicano moratorium, mm. we're still fighting for national liberation. 
verdad, este so shout out to the moratorium committee. También, verdad, something that I'm really proud of working on with other compañeros and com with other compañeras y compañeros is Telejaguar, which we just started, verdad. It, oh, uh, we're yeah. bringing, you know, Chicano-oriented content, you know, uh, world events from a Chicano perspective. And, you know, we're basically trying to bring back uh, the ideals of, of, of basically historical materialism, verdad? So I love the you know, Telejaguarism. Yes, I love it. You know? Yeah, so, um, beautiful. You know, este, I'm very proud to be working on all these projects with the different compañeras and compañeros, verdad? And, and this year is, is, is coming coming about and it's been a, a very productive year. Este, and hopefully we could turn back the tide on a lot of the stuff that, mm. that's been put there to dismantle the little that we've been able to gain, verdad? So, Absolutely. So, aquí estamos, If people, you know, wanna, can follow, verdad? 50th Chicano Moratorium, Facebook, and Tele Jaguar, and, you know, La Raza Unida also, este, run on social media. Perfect. Okay, brother, we, we ran out of time, but I want to thank you once again for coming on and representing Aslan, how you do it very well, and for all of your work, your organizing work, and your, your tireless work, your the work you don't get paid for, but you get paid in other ways by seeing the movement and the people continue to advance their consciousness and to continue with the struggle. I want to thank you, brother, for not only being on the show, for also for your service for the Chicano Nation, my brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you as well. You know, este, thank you for your efforts. Thank you, everyone there at Poor People's Radio, brother. We need more outlets like this. We need our own media, verdad. So, so thank you, compañeros, compañeras, verdad. And saludos from Pacoima, Califaslan, Tatavia. <laughs> Igualmente, uh, we send ours as as well. And um, and and that's uh, today's show. And this is KEXU ninety six point one FM. People's Revolutionary Radio. This is Free Aslan. I'm JV, and I will see you next week. Yeah. Good show, man.